0: Hey guys, and welcome back to Tennis 360, the podcast where we talk about all things tennis. My name's Anthony Hirsch.
1: And I'm Eliza Weskett.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is the seventh podcast we're doing. And uh, how are you, first of all? How are you doing, Eliza?
1: Good, thank you. So much better than last week. Sorry to have missed it. Yeah, no,
0: you're good. Yeah, yeah, you missed out last week, but we're back at it, which is good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're both here. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, two 1,000 tournaments. We're going to talk about Beijing. We're going to talk about Shanghai. And uh, there's a lot of other things going on around the tennis world. So uh, let's get into it. Iga Shriantek, uh gets within just 400 points of Sapling. at the top spot. Gets in 1,000 tournament of this year. Her first 1,000 tournament of the year, which is uh, she won a few last year. This was her first this year. Beat Samsonova. In the final with a great performance, six two six two in that final as well. Um, what do you think of uh, what you think of the final? You can get into that.
1: Yeah, pretty clinical performance. I think she played a really good week. Um, you know, testament to some of the work that she's been doing over the last couple of months. Honestly, since the French Open, seems like she's been putting some work in on the volleys, a couple of adjustments on her serve as well, um, and <clears throat> seems like there's been a little bit of a, a pressure lift off her shoulders, going to the number two spot rather than being at the number one. I think having listened to Iga eager speak uh, in her press conferences, she really carried the burden of being world number one. And that seemed to... The constant need to have to outperform Sabalenka to maintain that spot, I think was a pressure that was just becoming a little bit too much for her to handle. And she sort of admitted that she wasn't having too much fun so I think um, just seeing her play these last two tournaments, it felt like she was playing with a little bit more freedom, and she looked a little bit happier on court. So happy, in fact, that she cried after she um, won that match point. So, you know, clearly means a lot to her. Clearly felt a, a bit of pressure and stress of this season compared to last season and kind of what people have thought her performance has been, if it's deteriorated or not, but I don't know about you in my opinion i think the competition and level of competition has really stepped up in 2023 so it hasn't to me at least been so much of eager having a bad season i think she's had a great season i just think the sabalenkas rabakanas and and other folks in and around that top 10 coco Golf as well have stepped up their level since last year and you know um you have to adjust and and she's doing that so impressive win and happy for her to get, to get that title
0: yeah uh, totally. I, I, she was the top dog for the longest time. She was the player that everybody wanted to be. She had one of the longest stints ever, one of the longest first stints ever at a number one uh ranking. And I think that uh, now, like you said, the pressure has really come off of her. And I think that the level... The tour has really stepped up. I mean, we saw it at the start of the year with the Australian Open final being Rabakna Sapolinka, Rabakna beating her in straight sets and um, kind of the power players really uh, her having to adjust herself. So I think this was a big moment for her, um, I guess for her confidence, I think more than anything, the fact that she can go all the way and win a 1000 tournament with players like Rabakna with Sapolinka. Um, still in the mix. Absolutely. And it was, uh, I I think that is a big, uh, big thing for that. It was, uh, kind of a mental win and she was really solid this week. I mean, in the first set against Samsonova, she hit no unforced errors, just super solid. Samsonova was just playing aggressive and being super solid, but, uh, um, or uh, being super aggressive, but Sam, uh, was just hanging back being super solid, doing what she needed to do. And, um, yeah, it's uh it's all the all the better for Shvantang. She gets within four hundred points of Sabalenka with just um, with just uh, the WTA finals to play, but that's gonna be an interesting race at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I think so. And um, you know, wanted to throw in a couple numbers, testament to, to how good a season she has had, um, contrary to what you know some of the rhetoric has been like online. Uh, She's got an 85% win rate in 2023. That's an impressive number. She's got 63 wins so far, Um, five titles total in 2023, one of those being a Grand Slam. And yes, it's not as many as 2022. But she's the first player to win five or more titles in back-to-back seasons since Serena Williams did it in 2015, 2016. And that's a feat not to be underestimated, especially when we think about, the variety and different names that have been in contention for titles over the last five, six, seven years in the women's game. Some of them leaving, some of them young and up and coming. And for her to put together two really dominant back-to-back seasons at her age and experience level, I think, you know, is testament to how good of a player she is and also shows that there's room for improvement for her. And, um, you know, we can expect that to be a continuing battle for the number one spot and she's going to be a name that's inside that top five looking to, to take the number one spot back off of Sabalenka um and so it'll be interesting as you said to see how the year finishes off between them two and how that will position them for the first Grand Slam of the season next year um with obviously Sabalenka defending her title in Australia
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing that was exciting to me about uh about this year and how it's really panned out is it makes the the scope of the future of the sport really exciting with three young players, Sriantek Saplink and Rebacon all super young and Goff stepping up in the North American swing winning Washington then winning in uh, winning in, where was it? Cincinnati, then New York. Uh, it's been really good. 16-match win streak up until the semifinals. I saw some people talking about Goff making semis as that being a bad thing. But listen, it's a bad matchup for Goff against Riontech. I mean, you can beat a player once, um, and uh, may, that shows that she's going to be, a, that's going to be a rivalry to watch in the future, but that doesn't mean that that's gonna necessarily going to be easy for Coco from here on out, just like... Um, I don't know. It's just you see it time and time again with different rivalries. Just because you can beat him once yeah. doesn't mean you can beat him again and again. But still, um, oh. still a great run for Coco to get to the semis. And I yeah. think, uh, I think I think the scope of the future of the sport is really interesting.
1: Yeah, 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 things look great, and I think Coco admitted she might have picked up a little bit of a shoulder niggle um, that's causing her some pain. She talked about having not. Kind of had to play with pain before um and as you said the the season has been packed for her in terms of the last couple months she's she's made the final of all of these events um or run deep and so you know things start to add up a 16 match win streak at the end of the season is fantastic she's going to want to go home get some rest now and see what she can do at the finals but yeah, as you say, all four of those names are really great prospects. And then we have other up-and-comers inside that top 10 that are moving around to, you know, um, Jabor made a Wimbledon final. Then we have Von Drusova who won Wimbledon. Can she be consistent next year? We had the likes of Mukova making the French Open final and really being a challenger. Um, and then you have folks who are knocking on the door and Sakari who could potentially step up if she, if she turns a corner on the mental front. Um, and then, you know, some other champions that are just outside the top 10 and Kvitova, um, Ostapenko, who's knocking on the door again to, to get inside the top 10. So a lot of names who um, have titles, who have Grand Slam titles, um, who are, you know, looking to add to that haul. And for me, of those names on that list, Riantek is going to be one that is going to continue to win slams and do so consistently. And... Um, and she's proven she can do that, and I think she really has the skill set to do that across multiple surfaces, whereas I would have more question marks as to how many titles and how consistently a, a, a Sabalenka might, um, might have over the rest of her career. I expect her to win another slam, but um, if, if you asked me to choose one over the other, it would probably be Spiontech, um from a consistency yeah. perspective.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, firstly, to add to your point, I think it's been a really complete uh, season for the top of the women's game. I think I think all of the Grand Slam finalists have been all kind of different players, which is, uh, except for Sapolinka making two at the start of the year and the end of the year. But I think that that really um, is, uh, makes it a great uh, thing for the women's sport, that it shows that at the top of the game, you have really great players and really great rivalries at the top of the game. And it shows... Um, but the depth is there too. Uh, I would even add in Madsen Keys, Samsonova, who just reached the final here. There, there's so many players to name. Also players coming up like Mira Andreva, Brenda Fruvertova just around the corner. I mean, uh, and it just so, just so many different players. So I think uh, that that makes it really, really exciting. And um, yeah. And to add to your, uh, add to your point as well. Um, I think that, Shvaintek is uh, Sriantech versus Sabalenka. I, I think it's really hard to judge just from this year. From Shvaintek, we saw her re- winning Roland Garros in twenty twenty, but I think that that is a um, so it shows that over a three year span she can still perform very well. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see next year, the year after this. Now that Sabalenka is really uh, up up to tier in the rank, up to tier in the rankings, but also just in her game where she can win these. Uh, when these big titles won a major and where her double she's double faulting less she, her uh, not going so down on error she's added a little bit more variety to her game as well which has really helped her out as well and also, yeah. also Robachna stepping up it's going to be interesting over the next few years uh, next couple of years how they do um, also Shriantek is very good across clay courts and hard courts it's, I'm not so sure that um, Sabalenka or Robachna are as good on clay courts and hard courts or across either of the two surfaces even if they are as good on grass courts i'm not sure that that's gonna pay for the rankings in that big of a way so i think that that's uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch i would uh i'd be very curious to see how how many majors and sabalinka end up with shriantek as well some people are saying she's gonna win 10 over 15 majors some people say less it's kind of like alcaraz on the men's side too it's like it's so hard to know because it, it could be super could be a could be a very small amount could be a lot it and depends on uh, shriantech is improving on grass now got to the quarterfinals yeah. of wimbledon uh, so oh, her major count, like, like outgrass on the men's side, it depends on how she keeps improving across the surfaces. If she can win a lot more hard court majors at this point, I believe she just has that one U S open last year, but it will be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Uh, for me. personally. Personally, I kind, of, I kind of tend to agree with you. I don't think that Sabalinka is going to get up there in majors in the same way that Sviatik is going to. If she's going to win 20 majors plus that, I don't know about that either, if she's going to get to Serena numbers. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out.
1: I agree. And one thing is given with those two is that they're continually improving. I think that's what impresses me about them so much is You know, you see the improvement in Sabalenka's game. I I watched one of her interviews the other day. She's like, yeah, I'm realizing I don't need to always pummel the ball. Like, I can use angles. I can. um, and And so I think, you know, Sabalenka shows that she can make big turnarounds and big overhauls in her identity as a player on the court. And so if she, you know, can continue that trajectory, then perhaps I would be more confident in, you know, in those numbers being a little bit higher. But uh, the way that Sabalenka has played this year has obviously been really consistent, but it's been very two-dimensional in terms of her strategy for winning matches. And so, um, you know, at some point that gets figured out and, you know, not everybody can deal with her pace, but the folks who can um, will cause her problems. So she'll want to have a think in the off-season in terms of what other weapons she might want to work on so that she comes into the U.S. Open with a little bit of a uh, more of a plan B or a backup plan. The situations like she was in in that US Open final where, where Goff kind of figured it out in terms of um, dealing with that pace and power. But as you said, I think both of those names are, are going to be slam winners. If they get up to the same numbers as Serena, that's a, that's a challenging feat that I don't think you know we need to add that pressure to the mix, but um, certainly names that I would expect to see winning more slams over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we've definitely gotten spoiled to numbers like Serena's twenty three or to, to Rogers twenty, Nadal's twenty two. Like on the men's side, it's like, um, Djokovic twenty four. You get spoiled to these different kind of numbers, and I think um, that even Shontay wins ten majors, then that will already put her as an all time great player. player Just that, I mean, Venus won seven, and she's considered an all time great player. So I think yeah. that that's something that. Um, We've kind of gotten spoiled to as uh, tennis fans. I think we should we should collectively <laughs> dial back our expectations because not everybody's getting to 20-plus. Um, yeah. um, so we'll, we'll see what Schiaptec does. I think her improvements on hard courts and being able to have her game line up with the big games of, uh, of Robachna, of Sabalenka, but also being able to uh, weave off players like Coco Goff, like Mira Andreva, like other players coming up. Um, I think that that will be a big, uh, a big um, thing to uh, a big thing for her, and uh, it's going to be interesting how it all uh, kind of pans out. And then, uh, if you want to talk about uh, as well, we, uh, Sabalenka versus uh, Rabakna as well happened a rematch of the Australian Open, and um, that was uh, that was an interesting match that happened, and it was Rabakna who uh, actually got the win here over Sabalenka and reached the semifinals. Um, Rabakna, not a lot of people have been talking about her. She's been having some health concerns and other things like that. Um, uh, not playing to her best, but I think a lot of people forgot just how crazy she was playing earlier in the season, having such a top tier game that she even won Rome, um, that she even won Rome on clay, which was never her best surface. And the, the way she just plays out her best when just constantly on the baseline and on back end and forehand hitting just amazing kind of just beautiful shots hitting over the shots was really Amazing to watch from Yelena, and I think that um, uh, it's really good to see her back at the top of her game because when, I, I really think that at her peak, she has one of the highest peaks in the game, if not challenging the highest peak. Her her peak is really high, and uh, she only reached the semi. She lost to San to Nova, who is also playing a, gr- an, a good aggressive game um, in this tournament, but uh, it was good to see Robachna back at her best uh, for me
1: yeah for sure I mean she had such a dominant start to the season looked really confident has such a clean game I mean technique wise her serve is beautiful she's leads that ace leaderboard by a large margin um she's so clean up at the baseline she's willing to come in um and she just has such a level-headed approach about her tennis and it's been such a shame you know she she was Firing so hard from Indian Wells up until Rome, you know, got a couple of those titles under her belt um, and was looking like she could be a threat at the French Open. Um, and then, yeah, I fell ill um, and since then hasn't been able to really put a big, you know, mount a big challenge at any tournament, to be honest, um, dealing with injury as well with her shoulder um, physical illness. And you can see that some of that has just impacted, you know, kind of that match fitness, mental readiness, um, which to me is is why you know a semi final kind of loss can come at this stage for her to to Samsonova, who's a lower ranked player, but nonetheless is still a very strong opponent. You would just, um, you know, had had this match taken place in February of this year, I would have been pretty confident in seeing that Rabacna would come out with the win there. Um, so I think, again, she's another one of those players that's going to want to, um, you know, get this WTA finals over with and then really get some good rest and good recuperation time and try to kind of put this second half of the season to one side, chalk it up to, you know, it life happens, things happen. It's nothing to do with with her game per se or how she's been playing, but more so her health. So um, if she can regain that confidence of, Hey, when I'm healthy, I can, you know, I can really be amongst the best. And as you say, have one of the highest peaks in the game. So I think for her, it's just going to be really important that she gets the rest she needs over the next couple months. So, um, when the new year rolls around, she can hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Cause, uh, yeah, some for best tournaments, at least, uh, came earlier in the year. Um, yeah, right around when she was getting to the final of Indian Wells in Miami was a part of the season where I was like, wow, she's really kind of, um, picking up and could challenge for the number one spot. And I was like, because even before that, earlier in the year, she was playing a really good level. But in her, she she reached, in my opinion, the best tennis that she was playing this year at those tournaments. And I thought that her, um, her uh, I don't know, consistency to reach both those finals um, was really great. Nobody had won the Sunshine Double on the woman's side since Azarenka. She was one match away from doing it. But um, that was really uh, good for me. So yeah, a good, uh, a good regroup before that, um, before that happens. Uh, The next year uh, would be good as well, obviously defend the Australian Open final as well. And then I mean, listen, she's got points to get uh, to gain at Wimbledon as well. She reached the quarterfinals. I think she can definitely do better there like she did last year where she took the title. So yeah. um, for uh regroup for next year and then also to prepare for the grass wing because I, I i'll be disappointed if she doesn't do better than the quarters because she she's got she's got the perfect game for the grass um and then yeah we can look at some of uh go ahead no totally agree yeah, yeah, yeah. she's uh, oh, she's yeah.
1: definitely on the grass for sure
0: yeah and then uh Let's see what else uh, we can talk about uh, real quick with the Beijing and then we can move on to the end of the Beijing tournament on the men's side. And then, of course, talk about Shanghai, which is going on as well. Um, so what else is there to talk about? Yeah, Samsonova, she uh, she played a good tournament, but again, lost in the final. But listen, since about the second half last year, she's been playing a really good game, really aggressive, maybe maybe not consistently being able to beat or um Really test out the top players to their best, but I mean, she was coming in a lot during the uh, during the whole tournament. Really good uh, display at the net, and um, I was quite pleased with her getting to the final of an a thousand. I felt like it's deserved, um, yeah. and it was good to see. Just a few too many unforced errors from her. Like I said, Truontek barely hitting errors in that match. It was I think it was a double fault to give away a break in the first set. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then it was a, a drop shot error off an easy shot from Shriantech to give away the second break in the second send and also simultaneously the match as well. Um, yeah. but I think that that is a, uh, that's a player that I think is very, um, very uh very promising going into next year and i think honestly the woman's side is crazy at the moment i think uh i don't uh, i would think a lot of people would agree with me i think it's and going into 2024 that's very exciting and then uh also garcia and sacri having good ends to the season they'll be playing a tournament this week as well i forget which tournament that is but they will be playing in Zhang jang in uh in china which is uh, should be interesting. Zachary and Garcia having good runs up until uh, for the last few weeks, both of them not having a great start to the season, but having a few, a uh, few good runs now, which is really cool. And uh, Garcia nearly uh, had a great match against Iga who took home the whole tournament, seven, six, six, seven, six, one for Iga. But um Garcia tends to be a good matchup against Iga, like a lot of aggressive players do. But uh, anyway, that was good to see. And then Ostapenko, another you could call aggressive player, aggressive style player, kind of all out. with a solid win over Pagula. and uh, I'm excited. I don't know. I think Yelena has her best season since 2017. I think yeah. she's going to get on a good run at some point and really, uh, really step up. Um, but then, uh, yeah, and then if you're good, we can move on to the Beijing on the men's side to uh, talk about what happened there. We'll yeah, really, the um,
1: you know, I think yeah. that, as you said, the women's lineup is super stacked right now. I wouldn't be surprised if by this time next year we're looking at new names in the top 10 or old names returning to the top 10. You know, a Kvitova, potentially um you know, Garcia and Sakri will have been disappointed with their Grand Slam performances this year, and understandably so. But, uh, you know, it's important to finish the year strong no matter what happens. And they made a good go of trying to make qualification. But um, things, unlike on the men's side, are now wrapped up for the WTA finals qualification. So just uh, as a reminder for folks, before this week, it was already Sabalenka, Fesriantec, Goff, and Rabakina, and Pagula qualified. And then there was just some last uh names wrapped up this week. So rounding it off is gonna be Von Druseva, Mukova and Jabor. So Sakuri just about misses out there, but in the uh, live rankings, she's she's pushed up inside the top ten again. So um should be a really exciting WTA finals and um you know really strong end to the year for a lot of these players. So uh great great to see so many names in the mix and um, so much competition available for the start of next year as well.
0: Yeah, and there's so many names at the end of that tournament, which were also in the running of potentially making WTA finals, but they had to like win the whole tournament, but potentially Ostapenko Penko as well. If she yeah. won the whole tournament, she would have had a chance to get to the WTA final. So that was really fun at the end of that tournament. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then we could talk about Beijing. Yeah. Yannick Sinner gets the win against Daniel Medvedev. Uh, it is a really exciting end to the tournament. Sinner gets a win over uh, over Medvedev in the final. That's his first win in seven meetings. Uh, five of those came on indoor hard courts, which I felt like was always going to be tough for Sinner. Sinner was, uh, I think, felt a bit sick in the Miami final. Daniel Medvedev was playing crazy at the time, but Sinner was feeling a bit sick. Um, but this, he's feeling f- fully healthy. He was in great form going in, had a comfortable win over Alcraz, hitting that forehand absolutely massive. Uh, against Alcraz in the semifinals, uh, he came into net 15 times, won all 15 points, playing super aggressive, um, wow. and just, uh, I don't know, physically he looks better than ever, although i Thinking about that, it sounds a little bit ironic because he was actually feeling unwell earlier in the tournament against Dimitrov. He was actually throwing up in a trash can, uh, which is not what you really want to see. But he he fought through it and believed that he could still go all the way. And to uh, one day later beat Alcraz is crazy. So uh, beating the world number two and world number three, first of all, crazy for center. Number two, uh, when do you even play the world number two and world number three in an ATP 500 tournament and a world number two and world number three that both have over 60 wins on the season. So shout out to Cinder. He played crazy to even do that. And um, yeah, center gets a winning head head against Alcaraz, which is really crazy. Those two always bring out great tennis from each other. Um, Alcaraz always really pushes Sinner to his creative best, gets a lot of variety out of Sinner, really makes Sinner step forward because that does a lot against Alcaraz. and Sinner stepping forward really pushes Alcaraz to have to play his best tennis because he can struggle against the more aggressive players as we've seen time and time again. But Yannick Sinner gained the win and uh, gets to the top five for the first time for the first time, passes Titsbos in the rankings and also just gets to world number four in the world. He's been the fourth best player this year, clearly. If you're taking in the whole scope of the year, some people might have said Zverev, Rublev until last week, but Sinner clearly the fourth best, or at the moment, Sinner, Rublev. But Sinner is the best if you're counting in the whole year. It's not It's not even close, really. And um, it was really exciting to see Sinner go all the way, playing super aggressively, as always, and just um, winners all over the court, and to beat the best of the best to do it.
1: Yeah, it was a really impressive run and such a stacked entry list for a 500 tournament. I mean, yeah. such a short tournament and having to play all of those big names back-to-back-to-back to back to back days. I mean, I think he said he started the tournament kind of recovering from a cold. Then in that Dimitrov match, he said he was throwing up. Then he's playing Alcaraz the next day and then Medvedev the next day, who he's lost to six times in a row. Medvedev on hard course this year. I mean, he's, he's the one to beat. And so... Such an impressive run by him. And I think, again, he's another one of those names that impresses me so much because of his kind of patience and just like commitment to the process. You know, I think some people might have been like, why hasn't Cinna won a slam? Or why hasn't Cinna this, this, and that? And it's like Cinna's game from even like from the start of the year to to now has made significant changes and improvements. If you just want to look at the serve, he's gone from a platform serve to a pinpoint serve. And I I think he's gotten now to a, a point in his serve where it's like, that's the one, that's the variation that's working for you the best. And so to me, it's just so impressive that he's been able to be patient enough with himself and be like, look, like there have been moments over the last 18 months, two years, where I've had to take a step back to take two, three steps forward. And um, I think that that will serve him so well in terms of the longevity of his career to address some of the challenges and and kind of issues he had in his game now as a young player, rather than just kind of being like, you know, stubborn and just committing to what he knows and and does and thinking that that will get him um, to the most elite level he could possibly be at. So I think that's why um, I've been so impressed by the trajectory of, of Sinner's year and would agree that he's definitely been the fourth best player. And it looks like he's just continuing to add to that skill set and his weapons and is continuing to learn and develop as a player. And that should really be uh something that other players have an eye on and a concern about because it's just like you know look look at the changes he's made already and he will continue to do so he has that mindset he has the right team he has a great coach um and so I would expect to see him next year really uh, making the most of this number four ranking and um really going on a positive trajectory from here so so well deserved um to win the title this week and to go from Beijing to Shanghai, which also has a stacked entry list and make it now to the round of 16, um, you know, in back to back tournaments like this. That's also super impressive. A lot of ty- uh, players are feeling really tired um, at this time of the year. Probably are probably like, oh, I've already qualified for, you know, ATP finals. Kind of want to take my foot off the gas and maybe relax a little bit. Uh, but he's still he's still grinding it out. And I think, again, testament to his mental strength and the physical improvements he's been making this year as well.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really exciting time for, uh, for center. And I think that uh, I I I really agree with everything that you said about the fact that he's uh, he's constantly improving. I think the importance of the 2022 season really comes into effect with uh, what's uh, what this season has panned out to look like. I mean, I'll be honest. I actually, Predicted before the year started, um, I have it uh, save, saved online so people can check check the receipts, as, as some may say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, but I think that Sinner, I said, I think Sinner is going to crack the top five, certainly the top ten. Uh, I said that this uh, year, I predict Sinner is going to crack the top five because I felt like even during twenty twenty two, he was playing the level that I, I think some of the top players might. Uh, he can beat some of the top guys. He got a match point from Alcaraz. I mean, famously went up two sets to love on Coach at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. So I think he was right up there, and he actually had a good win percentage for the season 2020, uh, 2022, over seventy percent. But I think uh, this year it's up to almost eighty percent win percentage, which is elite level, and it's like it, it, it's it's really uh, it's really impressive stuff that he's just constantly everybody has their own kind of journey. He's constantly improving. He's aware of the fact that he's not, he's not even where he wants to be right now. He's like, listen, you think I'm good now? I have ways to grow. I have ways to grow physically. Listen, I beat Alcaraz once. I want to do it again and again. These top guys, they think differently. They're like, I know I'm good now, but I want to be better. Even Djokovic, the fact that the reason he's still going, the reason Djokovic is still going, I think is because he thinks of himself as a player who should have 30 majors. Like he wants to keep going up and up. He wants to do things people have never done before. It's this kind of incredible self-belief that is often panned on social media when people hype themselves up. But really that's a belief you need to have if you want a chance to get a joke, but you can want a chance to win these tournaments. And Sinner knows that it's in the journey. Alcaraz has his own journey. He's going to have his own obstacles as well. He started out super young as the Sinner, by the way, he got to a uh, – Roland Garros quarterfinal as a teenager but I think that that is a um that's a player that knows that it's a journey knows to constantly improve and that he uh he has ways to grow but he's I mean from the start he's just been tapering himself to be able to get to that level and you see constant you've seen improvements on the serve you've seen improvements in his clutchness and you've, uh, you just see improvements in his variety as well. Like I said, coming to net a lot against Alcaraz, against Medvedev. And uh, I think uh, he's not as flashy as Alcaraz, but he is so talented that it's actually ridiculous. And I think that everybody uh, who really understands tennis and understands the highest level of the sport knows that he's been growing and growing. And his growth is not done yet. So he's a player that has the potential to win majors. We'll see if he does that. But this was a big step in the right direction.
1: For sure. And I think if, you know, if it wasn't for Alcaraz, I think maybe people's expectations would be a little bit more in line, you know, Alcaraz winning a major or two majors at the age that he's at, you know, um, I think people have put Sinner and Alcaraz in the same bucket and think that Sinner is underperforming because he's not got a slam and Alcaraz has two. But I think, you know, people need to understand that, you uh, the the older players are still dominant in the men's game and Alcaraz is an exception not the rule whereas on the women's side we see consistently young players in their teenage years being able to win Grand Slam titles and that's happened for decades but with the men's game that's slowly been changing because of the dominance of the old guard and the fact that there are players in the mix in their 27s 28s who are really freaking hard to beat um and so you know that. the, the the Alcaraz is the exception, not the rule. And Sinner is very much on a good trajectory and good path of his age to, you know, be on track to, to go on and win a couple slams. And he certainly has the skill set to do so. So let's see if he cracks the code in 2024.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I'd like to also add on to that fact is that Sinner and Alcaraz could use each other as rivals to really pump themselves up going for the future um, to really improve themselves the way that Federer and Nadal Djokovic constantly needed a rival to really do that. I think even if Sinner doesn't get to the level that Alcaraz does get to, which I do predict is going to be the case, although we'll see, um, I think that still Alcaraz Sinner has proved that he's a really tough matchup for Alcaraz, that he can push him back behind the court. And that I think is something that um, he will really, uh, that Alcaraz is actually going to come to really cherish in the end, is that Sinner is really going to have to test him to really bring out his best tennis and constantly be on the ball, constantly be on the mark, and to really... Uh, Although he might be extremely annoyed if, uh, if probably as they will play ma- many major finals, if Sinner starts beating him in those finals, which could be another factor to why maybe Sinner is going to win a lot of majors, is if Al- if Alcaraz is really that good of a matchup for Sinner. Although I expect it's going to even itself out pretty, pretty. Uh, how would you say? to a point where I think tennis fans are going to be pretty satis- uh, satisfied, actually. But I think yeah. that that is a uh, rivalry that is going to really help each other improve. And yeah, center doesn't have to be Alcaraz. Um, he has to beat Alcaraz. He doesn't have to be Alcaraz. And Sinner is going to want to uh, really um, not pay attention to all of the kind of expectations and just do his own thing. That's what he's been able to do so far. And that's what I think uh, he's going to continue to do because he, is, uh, he does seem to be uh, tapering himself in a really kind of smart way.
1: Yeah, well said. I agree.
0: Um, okay, and then, uh, yeah, Beijing, great win for Yannick. Uh, let's see how he does in Shanghai. In Shanghai, it's looking uh, Medvedev lost, Zverev is out, Sinner and Alcaraz are the big favorites to reach the, uh, reach the final, and I think that uh, the, that's what everybody expects, but there's a lot of players uh, in the tournament that are playing really, really well. Uh, But like I said, Zverev lost to Safulin pretty comfortably, actually. Safulin is kind of underrated. He's playing a really good ball, hit, hit, really great backhand, which I think is why he did so well against Zverev, really strong backhand. So Mm -hmm. Zverev is not going to just beat him on the backhand to backhand that easily. And really aggressive game that really helped him out. I mean, I saw Safulin for the first time at the ATP, I believe, ATP Cup last year, and he was playing really well. So I'm glad to see him pull it off. Also, Wimbledon quarterfinals reached the final a couple weeks ago where he actually lost his verif so it was a good improvement i believe he lost his Zverev in that final but uh reached the final a couple weeks ago and uh yeah that's good to see and then also medvedev uh as well lost to sebastian corda yesterday in a rematch of the australian open do you think uh you think corda is a bad matchup for medvedev what do you think about what do you think about that one there
1: yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, look, I don't think Medvedev started out the year particularly strong, but, you know, he would admit to that too. Um, his rankings fell and the performances were one subpar at the beginning of this year until he was kind of able to get on a run after the Australian Open and win a couple of those hardcore titles. So um, I, I'm not sure that Australian Open match is too much to go off of because also the way Korda was playing at the AO was really strong. And, he, he, you know, he really challenged Djokovic in some of those warm-up tournaments. And Djokovic gave him so many compliments as to, you know, his game and what he possesses. And then, unfortunately, Korda fell off and, you know, got injured in that Australian Open tournament and then has had a kind of stop start um, season since then. But I think we all know, you know, if you've seen Korda play, he he has one of the most complete tennis games you can have in terms of the skill set that he possesses and his ability to make tennis look really easy. And, um, you know, I, I think at this time of year, you start to see some of these upsets happen, you know, Zverev kind of similar thing, like tired legs, it's it's a long season. Asian swing is a lot of travel. You know, you have Medvedev coming off the back of a final at the Australian Open, a final in Beijing, a lot of travel. Um, and you have Zverev who's, who's just been trying to get as many points as he possibly can entering any tournament he can. Uh, post-US open to try to qualify for ATP finals. So I do think sometimes this time of year uh, it's not a completely clean slate in terms of these types of matchups. But I, I do also think that Korda, um he served insanely well. He got, I think, over 70% of his second serve points won, which is a huge number uh, for him and his placement was just really strong. Um, And he just seemed to have a little bit more gas in the tank, kind of willingness to hang in there in the rallies and, um, you know, and keep going. So I wouldn't read too much into the kind of head to head. I think it's two, two and one now in that head to head, Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they did play each other again in a five setter who would come out on top of that. But um, perhaps quarter has some more of that kind of variety in his skill set that could upset, You know, Medvedev, who's usually somebody that um, uses his variety and kind of, uh, uh, you know, that ability to challenge players. So in that sense, it's a unique matchup, but um, I wouldn't read too much into it um, at this point of the season.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, with uh, especially with only three matches played. I understand that for sure. I think that um, that it, it was a good win for Sebi, though. I mean, Sebi reached the semifinals too high. He reached the final of the tournament that he played last week. I think that yeah. that is a... Um, That's a player that was doing really well up until he got injured around the clay swing and that um, he's one of the cleanest ball strikers on the tour. Um, And uh, I I think it kind of makes sense that he does well against Medvedev, but I think that, yeah, until they play more times, it's probably not something to look too much into, but I do think that is kind of, uh, how would you say Kind of, uh, consistently just aggressive, well-placed balls from back to court, strong backhand, um, just solid all around. I mean, I, I think I think he actually has a similar game to Medvedev in some ways, but probably a little bit more aggressive. But um, I think that it's a good uh, – I think we're going to get some good matches from there, especially as Medvedev looks for answers. Um,
1: and, uh, yeah, but that was a, a – Or a really interesting one is the Alcaraz-Evans matchup. We've had yeah. two matches between them that have just been like like (laughs) some of the best tennis like of the season and i don't know what it is about those two but holy moly uh they played last night in um in shanghai and it was just a fantastic match i mean it was just full of highlight reels and uh yeah. I feel I feel for Dan because man, he he tries so hard. But uh, yeah, Alvarez obviously tough to beat. But something about that matchup seems to be a little, a little bit of fireworks for Alvarez. What do you think? Yeah,
0: I'm just I'm just sad that it happened at 3 a.m. here in the U.S. I can't watch it. It's like, it's like it's so late in the states because it's 12 hours ahead in China. I'm just like. I don't know. But I, uh, it was amazing. I watched the highlights of it. And it was some of the most like quirky, crazy rallies, Alcaraz hitting crazy shots out of nowhere. Evans just smiling, laughing. He's like, I've got no chance, but I'm playing top 10 level. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> what can you do? It's like, uh, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like the Verdasco versus Nadal 2009 Australian openers. Like one guy is like kind of trying to do an upset, like way blowing the rankings, like playing out of his mind, but he's coming against the guy who just like can't, lose and it's like well what am i supposed to be doing out here tracking down every ball and it's like it's it's crazy i don't know what it is about that matchup i think evans is actually underrated and being fun to watch his entertainment values i think really really high actually i really yeah. like his kind of fearlessness on the court too i love his in your face personality that he brings just yelling come on all over the place and it's like it's kind of fun to watch so yeah I think it's fun, uh, and I I, I want to see more of that matchup because at the U.S. Open, I locked it in my head. I was like, "Wow, that was uh, that was something." And then, uh, yeah, yesterday it happened, and um, yeah, well, so I hope we got more of those because both those guys are flashy players.
1: For sure, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, and then we also had kind of two bigger upsets last night. The first one being. Um, Taylor Fritz losing out to Diego Schwartzman, who currently is ranked outside of the top hundred. I mean, he, he he Schwartzman is a former top ten player. I for the life of me cannot answer the question of what on earth happened to him over the last eighteen months, twelve months. Um, but I mean, the drop off in performance has just been like. Uh, I can't, I'm not even sure what to compare it to because it's been so sudden. But a um, huge, huge win for him last night and a very disappointing night for Freds, who's doing everything he can to try to qualify uh, for the ATP finals. He's now going to have to try to defend his title in Tokyo to, um, to kind of get those points back. So um, he'll, he'll be upset with having let that one go because that went tight in three sets. And um, yeah, he, he needed that win. Both of them. yeah
0: that's that's fair I, I think Schwartzman needed it more though I mean his season he's been losing to so many guys in close battles top guys and uh, I I was really I I thought last week he played a match that was really good against uh Zverev and I think that uh I was I was quite pleased to see that uh Schwartzman played such a high level against Fritz I actually got to catch some of it because um whatever I got to catch some of that match and um it was uh it was it was really impressive ball striking from Schwartzman. and um I think that Fr- but yeah Fritz disappointing I mean he won Atlanta that was kind of the one kind of uh tournament that he had where uh it was um not a uh where it looked like Fritz was back to his usual kind of level even though he didn't have to play against a lot of top players there but still very uh impressive to get the title but other than that since uh since i think it was monte carlo reached the semifinals lost to rublev in three sets i think that he really hasn't been on the ball he started the season out great well outside the australian open i guess but for the most part he was playing really high level and then he kind of just dropped off and i think that that is um that's something that fritz is going to be looking to need to improve, uh, I guess, the indoor courts. He uh, usually does pretty well on fast courts, so hopefully he finds it then. I think he reached the semifinals, the ATP finals last year, lost to Djokovic in the semis. So I'm hoping that that is a uh, place where uh, where Fritz kind of regroups. But I think uh, I would just say about that, I, I was happy to see Diego get the win because he played uh, incredible. He kept losing these close matches. And uh, even as a, as a big Fritz fan, I, I was um, – it, it was good as a tennis fan to see Schwartzman back in the mix because I love the comments of people saying stuff. If Schwartzman was like half a foot taller, he'd be like one of the greatest of all time because he's one of the most talented players ever. Just the way he hits the shots is crazy. Yeah. And I think that, it, I mean, the angles he gets on his shots, how quick he is, it's kind of ridiculous. So I'm happy to see Schwartzman get a win whenever he gets one. That was a big one yesterday, 7-5 in the third set uh, to take yeah. out top 10 player. First time since yeah. Barcelona last year beats a top 10.
1: Yeah, and then another top-ten player falling, pass, losing to Umber. Umber, who's having a really strong comeback season after kind of falling off towards the end of last year. And he has interesting stats now. 50% win rate versus top-ten opponents. A higher win rate than opponents ranked less than him. Strange. Um, and Tsitsipas just seems to struggle um, against that kind of lefty type of player. Uh, We've seen that a few times this season. Um, But yeah, Tsitsipas hasn't made it out of a third round or past the third round of a tournament since August. Uh, And that must be concerning for him. He's obviously had the coaching change. Um, He fired Filipousis. His dad's like back in charge. I watched an interview with him kind of being like, yeah, my dad's always going to be the guy. Like I wanted to try working with somebody else. I mean, it's been on again, off again this year. Um, I mean, sh- surely the way he's behaved has also kind of probably put off some coaches wanting to even join his team with the dynamic that he has going on, to be honest. Um, but yeah. he's really, you know, not had the season he would have wanted. And um, to be honest, I think he's lost some of his fear factor um, since the Australian Open. I don't think people see his name in the drawer and feel as concerned. And um, he's he's going to need to make some technical adjustments and some mental adjustments in order to have a better year next year. And I'm just I'm not sure what to make of it. What what do you think he needs to do differently um, towards the end of this year to, to kind of finish things off on a better note?
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is it's incredibly disappointing because he started out the season playing some of the best tennis. I, I'm i just going to say he had played some of the best tennis on a hard court I've ever seen him play at the Australian Open, reach the final there. He was hitting the forehand massive, coming to net super aggressively. He's not really playing aggressively at all at the moment. He's playing, yeah. playing a lot of slices, playing uh, very kind of not – just not getting the depth on his shots. I mean, I felt like he played a little bit better against Jarry, who tends to have a good matchup against him, but um, – or sorry. He was playing <laughs> uh He was playing Humber, but it was a, uh, but it's still. I bear is in really good form. Uh, so I think that Kuhn-Bear um, played really well. Good aggressive tennis to get uh, to get it done. I think that that is. Uh, I, I, w- I was. I was excited about the fact that he even looked like he deserved to be in the top 20 playing against Toon Bear. Some of the points that I saw in that match, I feel like recently he's just not, he's losing to players outside of the top 40, top 50 he lost to Gasquet in a grass court event to start off the grass wing. He's been losing to weird players all over the place. So it's uh, yeah. it's been a weird run for Tits boss what he needs to improve as he needs to improve this coaching situation somehow or another, because it's just not working. He needs to switch up his box uh, to, uh, to, uh, to have, he yeah, obviously he has that inclination to want to do that, to uh, move his dad out of the position that he was in and then get Phil in. So I think that that was, that's something, but I, I think, I think he needs to move uh, his coaching situation about, and he needs to do what he was doing at the start of the year to play more aggressively. That's kind of what I think about it. Um, and yeah. also just be more effective on a serve to get more free points on serve. Cause even that I think is less than it was. And um that's kind of what I see. He needs to he needs to get that aggressive game back, and I think he needs to get some. He needs to move his box around because he's uh, he's had the same box for a while. Um,
1: yeah, I think so. And to me, I, I watched him lose to Dominic Stricker in person at the U.S. Open, and I felt watching him that his backhand is just too inconsistent. It's it's like you give him one really hard ball and one floater and he's yeah. and all of a sudden he'll just shank the floater out of nowhere and it's just like it's it's yeah. strange because um you know i, I his forehand is most suddenly his weapon and his backhand is just really broken down a lot and now that that's a target that people kind of have they rush him on that side and it's it's not like when he misses it's a few inches or a few centimeters here and there it's like horrible misses like shanks way out um and you just sort of think like why are you going for that shot like what is up with your timing um it's like he's not fully focused in the middle of a point i don't know but there's so many different things kind of going on and and for how good of an athlete he is like physically for him to be losing these types of battles when he has the skill set, we've seen him play at a much different level. I mean, it has to come down, as you say, to to the coaching box and his kind of mental situation that he's got going on. I don't like blaming things on the whole tit to situation. I don't think that being in a relationship changes your skill set on the court. And, you know, um, perhaps there's a lack of concentration at times, but, you know, these people are professionals, they turn up, they practice, he's doing all of the right things, I'm sure that he needs to do off of the court. It's not like, cause he's dating someone that, you know, all of a sudden his routine completely changes, you know, unless other people know things we don't know, but, um, you know, I would less so focus on that and more so focus on the strange treatment of the Philipposa situation, the strange relationship he has with his dad and how his dad behaves in the box. And this kind yeah. of strange breakdown um, in his shots and particularly that backhand side. So really curious to see how that is going to unravel. Um, he hasn't yet qualified for the ATP finals. He's obviously in the mix too. Um, but I mean, he's going to need a good you know, run at one of these next two tournaments or at least not have an early exit because he's in a position yeah. where he's vulnerable to get caught um, and miss out yeah. on that qualification. So you never know. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, well said on everything. I think uh, I don't have much more to add there. I just think that coaching situation is really kind of uh, tedious and strange. I hope that that gets uh, figured out. Uh, But okay, that's kind of the Shanghai tournament. We'll have kind of the results for you uh, and how the draw expands later on uh, next week when we get back around to it. Uh, But for now, let's get to uh, quickly get to the power ranking section where we talk about the players who we think are at the top of their game at the moment. This is the uh, the power ranking section. All right. Now the power ranking section of the podcast uh, where we go over the players who we think are doing uh, kind of the best at the moment. Um, so uh, for me, uh, I think Beijing on the men's side, starting with the men's side first, Beijing had to play a big role on it. Sinner moves ahead of Alkraz and Medvedev. For me um, and uh, yeah and also uh, for you as well, I see uh, center at number one. Um, do you want to talk about why Center moved so high? I guess it's obvious because of the Beijing win, but
1: Yeah, yeah. so I guess for me, I was thinking about power rankings in terms of you know who's most likely to get a result this week, next week, the week after. Um Djokovic isn't going to play a tournament until the Paris Masters, at least that's what we've been told um, right now. And he's just he hasn't been playing since the US Open. And obviously he's a name we expect to win, but he's not playing next week. So that's why he's not in my power rankings, because I wanted to add some new names to the list to talk about. Uh, which is why, for me, Sinner tops the chart. Um, best performer over, over the last uh, 10 days or so. And, um, you know, I think that win over Alcaraz and win over Medvedev um, in terms of, you know, streak or who's hot right now, uh, t- to me, Sinner runs that spot. Um, but obviously, you know, still the Alcaraz, Medvedev names there in the mix in terms of um, you know, who's coming up. And of course, if Djokovic were to be playing, he would slot in around there too. But Wanted to also kind of give a nod to um, to some folks who I wanted to add to the list at the bottom, but it looks like we're pretty similar in terms of the meet in the middle with Rublev and Zverev kind of swapping things around with each other depending on the tournament and, and that week. But those two seem to kind of really be at that consistent number five, number six, number seven spot and they're kind of rotating around within that um, that zone. So I think, you know, testament to that consistency. This season and and Zverev really stepping it up in the second half of the season on his kind of comeback year, um, but it looks like we kind of have some differences from the sixth spot onwards. I see you don't have Paul in your list. You don't have Fritz in your list. Talk to me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I almost I almost want to include uh, Paul in there. He was so close to my number ten. I felt like I've been snubbing Shelton, so I put him in, but. Uh yeah. yeah kind of my reason for Paul is because uh he lost his two matches at Davis Cup. He uh he hasn't been performing that great since the US Open. He's done well in a couple matches this week. Uh lost pretty early in Beijing as well, so that's kind of why I didn't include Paul in there and uh yeah, I should I should have had Fritz in there. I feel bad, but it's the Schwartzman <laughs> loss that kind of put me out of but made me kind of bring him out so or put Fair him enough. out of the list. Yeah. I and then cool uh enough.
1: Sorry, I put Paul in there because he has made the round of sixteen in every hard court masters this year. Round round of sixteen or better, and I think he's just outside the top ten. And he's a name that has just been so consistent and impressive on the hard courts this year. Um, and I wanted to give a nod to that because he's made so many improvements in his game. And you know, he's honestly a, an underrated mover in my opinion too. Um, so. We'd love to see him have a good little run here, um, a good little finish to the season. I mean, he's also still in, te- in contention for qualification if he was to pick up the title. Yeah. So, um, you know, yes, he's uh, he's kind of cooled off a little bit since the US Open, but I also just think it's sometimes that post Grand season, gross grand slam slump and uh, Labor Cup matches, I just, uh, I can't factor in too highly, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think, uh, yeah, Paul's been... Not actually top five win percentage on hard courts for the entire season, which is really crazy. And he has the indoors coming up, which he's gonna really enjoy. Um and then yeah, I think we had similar. I think we have uh Dimitrip in there. We have uh Shelton. Um you have Shelton at eight. I have Shelton at ten. Uh it's understandable. Shelton had a great run at the in New York, obviously. And um yeah, Sebastian Corda doing well. Um uh, yeah, we almost have Corden Shelton kind of traded, switched around, um, but yeah, and then uh, going into the woman's side, uh, the way I, I do the power rankings is I kind of um, even I have Joe Fish at the top just because my kind of my kind of way of doing the power rankings is. If they uh, if they've at least played a tournament within the last uh, month or uh, last month or so, and they played tournament and uh, I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt if it is somebody performing as consistently as Novak. But I thought it's just a different way of doing the kind of power ranking structure. And I still have Coco at the number one spot, but obviously Ika getting the Beijing title. She moved up uh, a lot on both of our kind of rankings lists, which was cool to see. Sabalenka drops down. Um, You have Sabalenka in front of Coco, which I kind of think is interesting. Walk me through. Walk me through that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, Coco has had a great 16-match win streak, but I think has had a fantastic year. You know, they both have a Grand Slam each, but Sabalenka made the semifinals or better of each of the Grand Slams. Super impressive. Um, and I think that her consistency over this season, to me, has earned her the slight nod over Coco, even if Coco, at this current moment in time or day might have put together a couple more wins than Sabalenka under the belt but um you know Sabalenka played uh a, a really well performing Rebecca Coco had to play a really well performing tag they both kind of fall at similar hurdles um and so there's really not much between them um and we haven't seen them yeah. play since the US open either so Semi, uh, as well, with Zabalenka having the number one spot, she's earned that over the years, so um, that's why I gave her the slight nod over golf. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's definitely fair. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people are disappointed by Goff losing to Sviantek as well in the semis, but yeah, I just had to put Goff, uh, keep Goff on my number one just because she's been, because of that 16-match win streak. Um, so that's yeah. just kind of the difference there. And then, uh, moving on as well, uh, Rabachna bumped up from, uh, to our, uh, number four spot for the both of us. And then also Pagul at five, Zachary at six. Um, and then, yeah. And then I think we have the exact same play or no, uh, you have, uh, Garcia at nine and, uh, I'm trying to figure out what the difference
1: I is for have that. in my list at the moment. Again, okay. Kind of similar to this like Djokovic situation. I, I, Mukova and Von Duseva fell out of my list just because I haven't, you know, they haven't been playing the last couple of tournaments, haven't seen them around. Um that, you know, they've made qualification in there, you know. Resting. I know that Von Duseva, you know, even post US Open was struggling with some injuries. So kind of hard to know, you know, what her level like is right now going into the WTA finals. And Kurumatova, I wanted to, you know, add her into my list because I think she's had A really strong past couple of weeks obviously got the title last week um you know lost to coco this week but still had a decent run and then i also wanted to give a nod to garcia because again she you know as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast she's not had the best of years um she was having some rough things going on in her personal life and so to have had a really good little run from you know uh guadalajara to tokyo to here in uh, beijing um that she deserves a little bit of momentum and a, and a slot inside the power rankings at the moment, just because, you know, she really gave Tech a run for her money as well. And, um, yeah, she's finishing off the season well, which she needed to, and, uh, she's, she's knocking on the door of top 10 again and, um, yeah, impressed by some of her performances lately.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely fair. Um, Yeah, once again, just the difference of Mukova just kind of not really performing much recently, but Garcia with a few good runs. But yeah, I kind of wish I could have given Garcia a top 10 out as well, because she is playing much better than she did at the start of the season. She is picking up some momentum to really playing uh, playing her best game again. I think a lot of it was mental, to be honest. I think that that side is really improving. And Garcia is also uh, in a tournament. Uh, coming next week so we can go. Co- uh, we can go now to the kind of upcoming uh kind of section for the podcast yeah, for sure
1: um
0: so let's see here for the upcoming uh upcoming section we've got a couple tournaments a couple five hundreds we have the WTA in Zhang Zhao we've got Maria Sakari the Guadalajara champion we've got on we we got Kretz, uh Kret- Krejcikova, we've got Kazakina, Garcia, Kurumatova. Uh Those are the top seeds playing, but, but oh, that, I mean that's a that's a stacked 500, um, not yeah. not ATP 500, not Beijing on the men's side stack, but it's pretty stacked. And uh, only Rabakna was uh, she was slated to play the tournament, but then she had to withdraw. And then uh, yeah, it's a, it should be an exciting tournament to see where Ons is at, to see how Sakura and Garcia are. Uh, progressing because they're running on really great momentum. And uh, yeah, there's some good, tur- good matchups already kind of happening in that tournament. Zhang and Zachary are supposed to play next. Uh, Zhang, a very talented and exciting, uh, aggressive style player who's dangerous for any anybody on the tour. And that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Also, Paulini, Garcia, um, they had a good match on the uh, on the indoors. so uh, mm-hmm. So that should be fun. And then yeah. also uh, the uh, Japan tournament the, on the men's side, we have uh, a lot of players playing. Fritz, Rudin, and Zverev are the top seeds in the tournament. Fritz defending the title. And then also players like Demon players like Paul. Uh, and the race to Turin is still very much on. So uh, yeah. that's going to be interesting. I think we the last time we did the podcast, I think we talked about the race and the players doing uh, who we think is going to fill out the spot. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Players, part of uh, the the yeah. Interesting part of the schedule. Obviously the WTA and ATP varied slightly with the WTA holding Guadalajara, uh, which is a master's tournament so soon after the U S open, whereas uh, the ATP is having their masters now and at the end of this or towards the end of this month in Paris. So, um, <clears throat> you know, this is the last 500 of the season for the WTA players As we mentioned earlier, uh, qualification for WTA finals is already wrapped up. So, um, you know, after this, there's only kind of 250 tournaments available, which top seeded players can only play a handful of per season anyway on the WTA side. So for a lot of folks like Asakuri or Kachukova, Kazapina, Garcia, those names who didn't make the cut for the WTA finals, this is kind of their last opportunity to... Battle it out um, for those final kind of top spots to to round off their ranking for the end of this year. Um, you know, and and all of them will want to finish the year on a good note. There are a couple of other 250 tournaments I mentioned that are going on um, at the moment as well in uh, Hong Kong, and um, there will be one in Tunisia as well, and a couple others. But kind of last opportunity for some of those bigger names to. Um, to finish off their season on a good note. Whereas, uh, you know, kind of, as I said, the ATP has a few more. This is also their last 500, but they've got that Masters coming up and there are a couple of other 250s that are starting next week. I think Holger Rune is playing in one of his home tournaments uh, in Europe. Um, So a couple of different names on that entry list as well. But this is a strong ATP 500 tournament. And as you said, you know, the qualifying for the finals is very much I'm um, still in contention with Rublev, Tsitsipas, Verev, Runa, Fritz, Rude, Paul, all names that could still qualify, which is why this 500 and the next Masters tournament for them is going to be huge. Um, so a lot to kind of pay attention to actually still on the ATP side over the next couple of weeks. Um is still in the race. So, uh, you know, four spots still available um, and it's, it's all to play yep. for.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think so. And then, yeah, like you said, the two masters, but then also tournaments like Basel, tournaments like Tokyo. And uh, I think that that's going to be really interesting. Um, And uh, yeah, a lot of spots still open. I think uh, potentially Runa's spot is very open in the, in the race right now to be, to be taken up. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see who steps up Uh, like Paul and Demonor, who will be playing the Japan tournament. They're uh, they're really good on fast indoor courts. So that, there are two players that could step up. Um, so it's, it's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see. I I, I I will also mention that I do think that the uh, WTA schedule where you have this kind of schedule kind of ending in the start of October and then, and then the WTA finals, it's like, well, first of all, like you said, Lahar and U.S. Open, it's all so back to back and it's like, there needs to be some kind of revamp. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There, there it it, made, it act- it needs to,
1: It was bad for the fans, bad for the players, bad for the tournament. You know, who wants to get the best players uh, competing there? And, you know, Guadalajara is a great tournament. They have fantastic fans. I, for the life of me, do not understand it. And, you know, um, what I also find super confusing, which I guess kind of bleeds into some of the culture question that, you know, I still can't figure out the answer to is the WTA finals were scheduled to be in China earlier this year in May. WTA announced that they were returning to China for the WTA finals. Um, And so at that point, you think, okay, like it makes sense why they have Guadalajara where it is, because they thought they were finishing off their year in Asia. And now the finals in Cancun, so they're going from, you know, Mexico to Asia, back to Mexico. And it makes no sense. And you can tell that there's just been for whatever reason, so many challenges in that organization and their leadership and trying to understand, like, what the schedule looks like. But this just can't be the case again next year. Because yeah. we've had this now two years in a row. And it's super disappointing. And it's also just such a shame, you know, for the players. Like, if, if this was their last 500 tournament, like, in my opinion, WTA finals should be next week. Let them be done. Yeah. Let them have a life. Have some break, you know, and then start the year strong. Like, why are we now yeah. dragging this up with a couple of random two fifties in between, and we're waiting till the end of October to get to WTA Finals? I mean, it would have made way more sense if they had known that they weren't going to play the finals in China, that they had moved Guadalajara at least to at some point in October rather than straight after um the U.S. Open. I I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall and what those conversations were like because. My goodness, that schedule made absolutely no sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the biggest thing, in my opinion, that needs to be changed in tennis is a way to look at tennis scheduling where it makes way more sense for the players. And I've said it before: if it makes more sense for the players, it makes more sense for the fans. I think that that yeah. uh, you you need to have you need to have better sense scheduling first of all, where it kind of makes sense uh, for the surfaces uh, across the board because a lot of times you just have. Random clay tournaments kind of in the middle of hard and you have a very kind of abbreviated grass swing and then you have like clay tournaments back to back you have like Madrid Rome and Roland Garros within like five weeks of each other and and then also just places uh, tournaments across the board, especially on the women's side that have not easy solutions, but at least on paper, it seems like that you can figure out some solutions, make it at least miles better than it is at the moment. So it, it, there needs to be a way better revamp for the schedule because we're like early October. WTA finals is in a month. Uh, first of all, the players are going to completely lose their momentum with how well they're playing at the moment going into the finals. And then uh, physically as well. I mean, we talk about the sport playing at the highest level physically. I mean, they're going to be all out of sorts. Some people might not even play. And uh I saw the WTA final stadium in China is barely even being built at this point. I don't know what's going on. It's like, it's, it's just, it's like nails and whatever. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense. And the schedule needs a big revamp, I think uh, on the men's side as well, but especially like way more on the women's side. It's, it's the, the top of the, uh, the the top of the leadership needs, needs to change and the scheduling in the uh, in the way of how a season is set up, but also match times. There's a lot that can be said about tennis scheduling. And Absolutely. we're gonna talk about it more. We're gonna talk about it yeah. more for future podcasts yeah. as
1: well. For sure. We could yeah. spend a whole Absolutely. Time yeah. talk on it. But the ATP's literally uh you know, finishing out of the season, they had a little bit of a break post the US Open, you know, a couple of the players played Davis Cup, a couple played Labor Cup, you know, we had a little bit of a pause. And as you say, now players get through, you know, a, somebody like Djokovic, who's taken the month off. He's going to have Paris Masters to get himself into form before getting to the ATP Finals. And as you say, we have a number of these top players now. I mean, who from the WTA you know, qualified list other than Jabor is playing the 500 tournament? Who has momentum coming into the WTA Finals? I mean, they're not allowed to play 250 events. So you want them to take the next 20 days off? And then come and have a really high level like WTA final and, you know, expect that, especially at the end of the season where everybody's tired. So you give them a little bit, you know, it's just it's like it's like teasing somebody with like, here, take a nap rather than a whole sleep and and make sure you play well. (laughs) It makes no sense. So I'm really disappointed for them because I think the WTA finals, you know, deserves to be a pillar head of the season. And I think the ATP has done such a good job of making it that, you know, when it was in London in the O2, it was a really sought after event people really enjoyed and now it's in Italy and it's also a really strong event. And, um, tennis fans are really aware of it. They have the stadium, they have the infrastructure. And as I said before, like, you know, they, they, they had the contract, they had everything in place to play in China and now with no information it's like oh now it's in cancun and nobody understands why it's in cancun cuz there's no stadium even erected to play so <laughs> uh, it's just like yeah i, I don't even insane. know what it's, it's it's a,
0: it's it's a setup for failure is what it is and it needs to be revamped it there's there's there there needs to be a revamp of the tennis scheduling for sure uh, that's at least my opinion of it there there needs to be a look at it and it is difficult to set up a whole season but People are putting forward solutions and there needs to be a real look at those solutions, I think. So, um, but yeah. Uh, and then also something else that's been going on as well on Jabor and Venus are uh, going to be playing uh, doubles together. Uh, they received a, a wild card. Initially Venus said that her last doubles match is going to be with Serena at last year's U S open. But I mean, that wasn't a real good way to go out in doubles. In my opinion, if she wants to play with Javor, I think that's great. Two of the best mentalities, uh, in, in the woman's game. And I think that uh, it's exciting to see that before Venus kind of hangs up her racket that, uh, well, first of all, that Venus announced she's still going to be playing next year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she dis- if she announces a retirement uh, next year's US Open or something. But before she hangs up the racket to play with Ons is really, really cool stuff to see from Venus.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, it's a 250 tournament. It's also Jabour's home tournament in Tunisia. And we know that Jabour is really committed to trying to grow the sport in the Middle East um, and Africa. And so uh, she knows you know, the influence that Venus Williams' name has on the sport and the ability to grow the sport. And so to me, I look at this a little bit as an exhibition. I mean, Jabour isn't a doubles player and Venus is you know, older and towards the end of her career and, and yeah. plays in these types of opportunities. She played in an exhibition with uh, Monica Puig recently in South America for her retirement kind of exhibition match. So she's going to be, I think, uh, next year floating around between little 250 tournaments and kind of these types of exhibition-style things where she'll get a wild card here and there because of the influence she's had on the game and and how much she's done for women's tennis and the sport and the legacy she's left behind. So I think that's really the intention uh, behind this is to give the fans something, to be excited about And Boar's way of, you know, trying to get the biggest names, um attracted to the tournaments in her home country and in the middle east to really try and help um opportunities and prospects for players coming from that part of the world
0: yeah i th- i think that's true i mean if you saw venus play at the us open she was far from her best so i think it's more about kind of the, of the situation rather than kind of the actual trying to go all the way at the tournament but i think all the same it should be uh, it should be fun to watch venus back at it one more time in the doubles double sphere, especially with a player like Jabour, which I, I kind of feel like it's a good match uh, together. But that's uh, that's exciting. And, uh, yeah, anyway, we talked a lot. We talked about Beijing, Shanghai. We're going to talk about Shanghai as it ends next uh, next week. But, yeah, that's uh, that was Tennis 360 uh, with uh, – I've been Anthony Hirsch.
1: And I'm Eliza Weskett.
0: And thank you guys for watching. Make sure to join in for the next podcast as well. And – Uh, yeah, see you guys next week. Don't forget to like
1: the video and don't forget to sub to Quality Shot Tennis. See you guys at the next one. Bye guys.